we're going to be reading from Luke, who gave basically the same information that Huon ably read from the book of Mark. But we're going to look at it once more. So, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon when you, sorry, upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Okay, well, thank you so much. <clears throat> I got my phone to work, by the way. Before I launch into the sermon, let me give, keep giving you stats. <laughs> Credible stats, too. I'm, I always read the fine print. The top ten words that non-church Australians use to describe you, the Christians that they know. What do you think they are? Here they are, in order, from, top, from number one to number ten. They think that you are caring kind, honest, loving, generous, reliable, old-fashioned, <laughs> that's a compliment, classic, uh, gracious, joyful, and authentic. Now, there is a narrative out there that no one out there is interested in, everyone out there hates us, yeah, there might be a little, a little bit of that. There is a strong interest and a high regard in Australian society for Christians and people, of course, are thirsty. Look, the other things that people turn to in their life are not fulfilling in the way that the Holy Spirit of God who comes in to infuse your heart with the love of God. Do you know what I mean? Netflix doesn't do that. 
uh, for people. Golf is great. Ultimately, doesn't you know doesn't uh, do that. Having a property portfolio, it might be cool. Uh, it's not fulfilling in the way that the love of God is fulfilling, yeah? People are still thirsty. Did you know that more Australians on the weekend go to church than in all other major sporting events put together? Add up all the people that are going to the MCG to go to the footy, all the people that are going to basketball games, all the people that are going to NRL, whatever that is, all the people that are going to badminton uh, and uh, soccer, whatever that is. Uh, put them all together. There's more Australians going to church on Sundays, okay? So... Uh, there's lots to like about Jesus, isn't there? And there's nothing for us to be ashamed of and being enthusiastic about him, which is what today is all about and uh, trying to get, not get ahead of myself in my sermon. Uh, I'm one of those people that doesn't like noise, don't like too much noise. Anyone else here like that? Like your peace and quiet, yeah? Is that why you live in the Adelaide Hills? Where you get up in the morning, the gentle... You know, the, the wind going through the trees, the leaves, the bird song, the sound of 5,000 homes being constructed, <laughs> the occasional earthquake. So I mean? Ah, Adelaide Hills. It's wonderful, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe I should join the, uh, join the crowd. Beautiful, beautiful place uh, to live. Uh, we like our peace and quiet. We like to not be disturbed or disrupted, don't we? Well, unfortunately, today's passage is full of noise. I wonder if you noticed it when, you were, when it was read. And profoundly disruptive and disturbing. If you're watching at home, go and get another cup of tea, make yourself comfortable, strap in, because this is... Um, ...has nothing on the momentous stuff that is happening in this passage. Uh, so, let me just turn on my clicker and see if we can get some slides to work. Oh, that's better. Okay. Now, we've had the passage read twice already, haven't we? I'm tempted to put you through it a third time. Just because repetition is great, what we're going to do, in a great irony, I'll just let you read through it quietly, and uh, I'll move it fairly quickly. I want you to try and spot the noise and the disruption that there is in this passage, okay? If I go too fast for you, you've already had two tries. If you're listening to this sermon as an audio recording, this long silence is intentional. <laughs> your, your program will be returned to you shortly. Can you hear the noise in the, in the passage and the disruption? What, who's the first person to get disrupted? The owner of the cult. Yeah, so imagine if, you know, just get towards the end of the service as the last song and I kind of just run over to you, Barbara, and just rustle through your uh, handbag, grab your keys, I need your car, uh, run out to the car park. There's, there's something weird going on, isn't there? What are they like requisitioning, I think is the polite term. When, when in the, in the, it just, it's a fancy word for stealing, isn't it? <laughs> uh, 
but when there's some positive, great need, I mean, something big is going on. If somebody, you know, says, I need your car, I'll explain later, I just need it, you know, off you go. So that, that's pretty disruptive. Something is going on. Something big is happening, and, 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 and there's a first person to have uh, their, their day absolutely disrupted. Some randoms just turn up and take, take the donkey. What's going on? What's up? Well, that's just the start, of course. All of Jerusalem is about to be disturbed and disrupted. And the writers of the gospel who all record this make a point of saying how loud it is. So uh, in Luke, it talks about Matthew and Mark, who more to the point just said they were shouting. Shouting going on. The temple authorities, the city authorities, the rulers, the Romans. I mean, the Romans are used, they're the ones that are used to doing all the shouting around here, aren't they? They're barking orders, right? This is what's going on because we're in control here. And suddenly they're kind of on the receiving. There's all this noise, all this disruption. And it, 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 it rocks them all. And the, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, their instinct, of course, is to say to Jesus, Jesus, rebuke your disciples. And what does Jesus say? I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. What a weird thing to say. Isn't that weird? And you're going to think me slightly mad, then just bear with me, okay? Because you are a gracious church. You've, you know, you've let me go this far. I wonder if that's literally true. Because there's something huge that is going on here. Epically huge. Now, there are big things that are going on for Mount Barker Baptist too, aren't there? So I hear pretty big stuff. Anyone ask you, what's happening around Mount Barker, you know, Mount Barker Baptist? You've got some talking points, haven't you? And uh, pretty disruptive. It's like, oh, okay, there's stuff going on. And whoa, you know, it's like doing, a, doing our head in. The things we've got to kind of come to terms with, things we've got to prepare for. It's, you know, it's throwing us into action. We've got a, uh, what was it called? A move team. Was that what it was? A move team. Oh, I like that, that kind of. Uh, all, all teams should be move teams, I reckon. Otherwise, they're just talk teams, aren't they? You've got a, you've got a move team. That's great. I hope you know the biggest thing that's happened to Mount Barker Baptist, the big shaping thing happened 2,000 years ago, yeah? And that's the big thing that's going on. A big thing that's going on in Mount Barker Baptist. I don't mean in any way to down, downplay the exciting stuff that you've got going on into your future. I'm pretty pumped about that, but I'm pumped on another level about the difference that Jesus makes in people's lives. And when God pours out his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit, how that transforms lives and that transforms families and communities and cities and nations. And this is what's, do you know what I mean? Like you need a whole move team around that sort of stuff because Jesus is coming and turning everything uh, over. He fires us up into, uh, into action and that's what we're on about. Do you know what I mean? So when, so when somebody does say, what's going on at Mount Barker Baptist? Don't be ashamed, afraid to say, Jesus is reigning. And we're all trying to figure out how to, live his way and he's given us the honor of being his representatives uh, around these parts and that's doing our head in and we've got to have all kinds of move teams uh, to work out how we can just share his love and his goodness and his grace and his mercy and the peace that he brings with all the people that are uh, in this neighborhood that's what's doing our, our head oh and by the way our, you know our building's getting you know turned into something else and we've got to try and figure out where to meet but you know 
Wow. To be a Christian is to be uh, a part of a move team. Because uh, Jesus is on the move and there's big stuff happening and you've got someone speaking who's going to try and convince you that maybe the rocks might have actually uh, cried out because this is something that is so epically big. Bear with me while I show you another graph. Like I said, I'm a stats person, stats nerd, and uh, I want to try to... This is a weird way to try delve into showing how big what's going on happens. There we are. There's a little graph. This is what I call the death curve. It's pleasant, isn't it? This is actually the shape that everyone assumes that life takes. This shape dominates everyone's thinking about just about everything. And it says, this is what the story of life, that you start out, that you kind of pop out of nowhere, this sort of accident of biology, and suddenly you exist. Isn't that amazing? You sit back and think this afternoon, that you exist. That's a deep thought for the day anyway. And there you are. And suddenly you have life. And you've got to try and make the most of it, isn't it? So, so you grow up as a kid and you get your work your way through school and you get more freedom and maybe a bit more money and you've got choices to make. And, you know, uh, life, you try to grab it. You try to make the very most of it. You try to maximise all the experiences that you can have and see the world and do things and meet people and all sorts of stuff that you can do. And then you get to, I don't know, about my age maybe... And the birthday cards start referring to being over the hill. This is the hill that they're talking about. <laughs> Literally. And of course, you begin to think, oh, okay, what's going to happen is that this time that we get, that suddenly has been given us this life, is going to run out. And so then, you know, it's like the cartoons when they run off the cliff and then try to steep, you know, uh, while to stay in midair as long as you can, then, you know, we, 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 we try to draw it out, maximise, squeeze the most that we can out of life as well. And we use phrases like YOLO and, and, and FOMO, which all describe this uh, curve. Uh, YOLO, you only live once, so you better go and see Antarctica. Oh, or FOMO, fear of missing out, seeing Antarctica. Uh, and uh, this is the shape. It shapes our people's lives and their decisions. That's absolutely assumed that this is what life is, uh, is all about. And um, Jesus comes along and shows us something completely different. He says, this is what life is like. This is what his life is like. And uh, if you've got your Bible there, if you're a Bible ninja... You flick over to Philippians chapter 2, because in a nutshell, this ancient, ancient hymn that's recorded for us in Philippians chapter 2 gives us the trajectory of Jesus' life. It says that Jesus, even though he was in very nature God, how's that for a starting point? Did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. You see him coming down, took the form of a servant, and being found in appearances of a man, he became obedient to death, even to death on a cross. It's a criminal's death. What does the poem go on to say? Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And that, and, and, and that little poem, and that ancient hymn, tells this story of Jesus. I'm not sure I quoted it exactly right. I should, you know, mem Bible memorization is a good thing. I'll go back to it. But that's the, that's, the, that's the essence of it. 
Do you see that, that trajectory? Jesus says he didn't come out of nowhere. It was no accident of biology. He came from the Father in heaven. He talked all the time that he is returning to his Father in heaven. And he says the same thing about us, that we came not as some sort of cosmic accident, but out of the loving creativity of a heavenly Father who wants us to be with him forever. You see, that's a very, very different way of living. Jesus, not only, he lived it, didn't he? He taught it as well. He said, quite often, he said, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those who try to hang on to, those who try to save their lives will lose them. Those who lose their lives for my sake and the gospel will find them. Those who put themselves first will be last. The last will be first. He taught it. That's, what, that's the, you know, he talked the talk. He walked the walk and it's really quite opposite. So, uh, you know, that's a little, you know, you can sketch that on a little napkin if you're at a cafe with a friend and you're trying to say, you know, Christianity, it's not just, you know, another thing that people do to try to, um, you know, like buying a Harley or, um, you know, um, or going on a round-the-world cruise or something like that to try and just... Christianity is not just another yoga or a way to kind of just cope with this. It's something completely different and earth-shatteringly powerful, isn't it? Because when you look at these curves, that first one that everyone assumes is what life is all about is, I call it the death curve because it's all about death. It's about nothingness and there is a philosophical name for it which is nihilism. Which really says that ultimately what wins in the end is nothingness. This is the, this is, it says this is the story of your life, it says this is the story of the universe, it's the story of the earth, the solar system, that that son of ours, which is doing pretty well right now, is eventually going to run out of gas, and it's, the lights are going to go out, it's all going to go back to, to uh, complete blackness, and if anyone, even if there's any record that life was here, that we've all stored on a giant USB to say, we were here, if we've scrawled on the universe, yet Andrew existed, there's going to be no one to read it. And that's the philosophical basis that everyone thinks that kind of zero wins in the end, that death is kind of the ultimate final, you know, the thing that finally overpowers everything else as well, and that life is the exception of it. And can you see the destruction that does in the human soul? The, the, the meaninglessness that people feel that is attached to their lives and to their decisions. And the number of people that then are literally driven crazy by that and think their life is just about, well, uh, there's no meaning out there, there's no hope, there's no purpose, there's no truth. And they wind up in some great, uh, got, what do they call it, gotadamarung, and say, I might as well go out with a bang. I might as well just live hard. And the rest of you are nothing but competitors trying to slow me down from having as many experiences as I can. And that creates awfulness in the human heart. It creates awfulness in human society. And friends, that's what everybody seems to think is the story of life. It's the story of death. And Jesus comes and says, do you know what? The zero does not win. I don't want to give away the spoiler, by the way, for next weekend. Anyone who's planning on coming on both Good Friday and Easter Sunday, oh, I might have said too much already. But the, do you know what I mean? Like one of the fundamental things that's going on here is Jesus is showing that zero does not win, that death does not have the ultimate uh, power, 
And that is phenomenally good news. It fills our life with hope, fills our life with meaning. And we're here for something. And sure, that down curve means some downwardness. But it fills our life with nobility and purpose that when we are giving to others, when we are serving others, when we are putting other people first, when we are taking time to sit with somebody who is, who is, dying, who is dying or people in the, in the brokenness of life and despair that they are in, and when you're taking time away from your golf trip to go and do that, instead there is deep meaning and purpose uh, and vindication and reward for choosing to live like Jesus did, not consider a quality God with God something to be grasped, but to uh, take the form of a, uh, a servant. And so there's big stuff that's going on. Then when I talk about Jesus coming to Jerusalem, he's kind of overthrowing uh, all the assumptions, all the authorities, all the philosophies, and bringing something absolutely new. It's, it's, it's earth-shattering, isn't it? So can you imagine this is the build-up? Imagine being an angel, right? I don't, I don't know how angels work. But let's imagine. And you've got some sort of window into what's going on. And Jesus coming to Jerusalem, and this is the big high point of the whole cosmos. Okay, This is the turning point where everything kind of turns around. This is the moment. And can you imagine them wanting to kind of let us get in there? You know, Jesus, when Jesus' birth, uh, it looks like a lot of angels got permission to kind of pop their head in and make some noise. Do you know what I mean, like we... God, let us sing. Can we just, can we sing? Can lots of us sing? It was like, okay, yeah, we'll give you a little moment. Like, ah! And they, they want to get in there because this is, can, can, oh, so many people are oblivious. So many people are not getting what's going on. And this is the big moment. And I think this is partly why Jesus is saying that if these kids that are out there waving branches around and yelling out stuff, if they get quiet, Jesus is saying the rocks will cry out because of the whole cosmos. This is the God who brings from, from death to life. If he can take dust, which is, I guess it's just tiny rocks, isn't it, and form human beings and breathe his spirit of life into them and, and make us, do you really think the rocks aren't going to cry out? I mean, that's not my main point. Uh, you know, afterwards you can say, look, I really don't, I don't care. There's, this is huge, which is going, what is going on. It's great, isn't it? If anyone's got a hallelujah in there, you can let it sneak out. Yeah, all right, yeah. Right. So the rock, the angels want to scream. The rocks cry out, and there's a few people who get it, isn't it? And it's, uh, it's so great. The real question for us today is will we cry out? Are we part of the ones who are like, no, we've got our life in order and we just like things the way that we like things? We're like the Romans, we like to be in control, uh, be the ones who order things uh, uh, around. Uh, are we going to be rocked by this? Where are we in this story? Are we going to be ones looking to cry out? There's a lot of expectation in our world that the children of God should be seen and not heard, right? Anyway, keep your religion to yourself. People don't mind you doing good and living well, but they don't want to hear about it. And so we Christians, we tend to keep to ourselves a fair bit. Too much, I think. But it's partly because we also value being humble and gentle and peaceful and gracious, yeah? We don't want to be those obnoxious people when we don't see Jesus as being like that. So we get a bit nervous about making, about making some noise sometimes. But the trouble is that silence is not neutral. Silence can speak volumes, can't it? If you want to really show someone that you're annoyed with them, 
or that they are low in your opinion as well, you can completely ignore them. You can give them the silent treatment, you know, it makes a statement, doesn't it? So one of the weird things that does my head in is that you might have a church that thinks it's being humble and it's not blowing its own horn and it's just quietly praying for its town and it's just going about there anonymously doing good. And we'll go around and we'll mow some lawns, we'll wash cars, we won't say anything. In fact, we'll, we'll, we'll make a virtue out of that. We, we, we go around and we serve and we don't, you know, we don't ask anyone to come to church. We don't tell anyone about Jesus you know, because that's how loving we are. You might have seen a bit of that. That's weird to me. People need Jesus. So here's a church which thinks that, you know what I mean, like it's trying to, uh, you know, do that, take that humble posture and be really quiet. And then there's a town that, that thinks, thinks that that church up there, what you know, weirdo people, they got their head stuck in the sand. It's got no connection uh, to us. Too busy being pious to give a fig about other people. What a bunch of weirdos. What a weird situation that would be. Here's a church that shakes its head now at how the town seems to ignore the church. No one's interested. And a town, uh, and a, and a town that ignores the church that ignores the town. You see this kind of weird sort of in the silence. It's like one of those love stories that you see in the movies, like in a rom-com where they, you know, there's an interest, a mutual interest uh, as well. But something has to be said. Someone's got to make the first move. They only get together in the end if someone says something. Isn't that right? And we've got to burst through that mutual thing. Silence is not neutral. There's so much hunger out there. There's so much death and destruction and evil. And people aren't satisfied. They're too much we wait for others to make the first move. We hope that they will suddenly wake up in the morning and come, uh, come to church. We pray that God will make the most, the, 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 you know, a magical day will come when the people out there will start asking questions about Jesus. Sometimes we pray, God, would you just move across this neighborhood and reveal yourself to all the people? And while we're praying that, strangely, God is praying exactly the same thing back to us, saying, would you move across this neighborhood as my representatives and show them my love and show them who Jesus is? Tell them about me. God is a God who makes the first move and the church should be on the front foot. And if it gets us a little bit of pushback and abuse from time to time, then that was nothing that Jesus himself didn't get. doesn't mean you've done something wrong. It's just part of this curve. And in fact, by the way, one of the most powerful opportunities to witness that you have in your life is when somebody near you is having a go at you for being a Christian or you've said something about, you know, oh, Jesus makes all the difference in my life, and someone will say, keep your religion to yourself, thanks very much. What you say and do next is awesome. We might be tempted to say, well, it's a free country, and I can say whatever I want, you know, uh, around. That's the fight method. <laughs> or there's the flight. It's like, pull your head in, I'm never saying anything again in this situation. And we respond, turning the other cheek, staying with someone, uh, loving them uh, as well can have a super important uh, impact. But I guess in this story, one of the things that's got to me, I'm, I'm, I can be quite a particular person. I like everything to be just so. But in today's passage, it's not about getting the words right, is it? I'm not sure that in today's story that there was another donkey that went ahead of Jesus' donkey and there's someone riding on it holding a sign up telling everyone the words that they should yell out. 
there were big signs, you know, a bit like the screen we've got for singing. Uh, someone's got a sign saying, Hosanna, and then someone, there's another banner which says, you know, Hosanna in the highest, and another, another banner which says, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. There's no one giving them, there's no one scripting them, is there, in this story? They're just excited about Jesus. And they kind of got, of all the, the angels know what's going on, the rocks maybe are kind of bursting to say, uh, yeah, say something. Jesus knows what he's doing. There's a lot of oblivious people out there, and then these are the people who just kind of get it. I'm sure they didn't have a full picture of the whole coming kingdom of God. I don't. But there were a bunch of people who knew enough to know that this is something great is going on, that Jesus is so... And they're just yelling out stuff. Because Hosanna, what does that mean? It means save, doesn't it? They know that this is a great rescue. So if Hosanna means save, what does Hosanna in the highest mean? Save in the highest. It's like, I'm not even sure. But it's just part of the heartfelt, do you know what I mean? Go, Jesus, go! <laughs> and sometimes we get caught up and saying, I'm not quite sure exactly what is the right thing to say in this situation, but not all of us are called to be super eloquent and part of the great witness is when people, when Christians are perhaps just a little bit more inclined to make some noise about the difference that Jesus makes in their lives. And even if it doesn't come out uh, quite right, if it comes out of a living, loving heart that Jesus has changed, then he can really use that powerfully. Does that make sense? Having said that, Crossover offers great resources for you want to like, you know, <laughs> sharpen up the way that we, you know, we, we share Jesus. And, and, and getting our message right is really important. But wow, you can even, if, if, if our hearts aren't beating with some enthusiasm for Jesus, then even saying all exactly the right message of the gospel is somehow going to come across as limp and powerless, isn't it? If there's not something beating in our hearts uh, about it. We just tell people he makes all the difference. Tell them that he'll welcome, you know, you know Jesus, wow, he accepts someone like me. <laughs> even like me. So you'll have no problems. He loves us. He welcomes people. He'll include them. There's a lot of people out there, I think, who actually would quite like to belong to a church and just not sure that they qualify. And the phrase I've heard on uh, numerous occasions, when I've invited some people to church, someone, they've said, oh, you wouldn't want someone like me in your church. The first couple of times I heard that, I thought, oh, what a, well, that's a clever way to say, no, I hate church, I hate Jesus. And then when I heard the exact phrase a number of times, I began to think, what if people actually think that? What are the people who think, I would love to be a part of a loving, embracing community. I'd love to have peace with God. But he wouldn't want me. And, and those people wouldn't want someone like me. And what we really wanted to find ways to emphatically say is, oh, you would be incredibly surprised just how much you are wanted. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You, know, you are so badly wanted by God you are so important to God and that is good news for people isn't it so just like in the rom-com it's not about getting our words perfect it's about having the love of God in our heart in the first place and then it's pretty much about taking a deep breath and saying something there's just too much love and life and joy in God for stone cold silence what did one Peter say you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises 
of him who brought you out of darkness and into his wonderful, wonderful light. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we certainly don't have all the words to, uh, to pour out and to say how much of a difference that you make, how much you mean to us. It's so incredible that we would mean something to you. Thank you for the victory that you have won for us. Thank you for the enormous love that you have poured out into, in, into our hearts and into your world. Thank you for being a saving, rescuing God, not a passive God who says and does nothing, not a passive God who waits for us to work and earn and find our way to you, but you come looking for us long before we ever look for you. You are so good and so noble and so kind. And what an honour it is to be your representatives in our world, together in this neighbourhood. Your love is so phenomenally powerful and transforming. Help us to be like you, to love like you and to speak like you, to be the people that you've called us to be. We pray for this neighbourhood, we pray for this greater area of Mount Barker, that many, many people will come through the ministry of this church and other churches around Lord, help us to play the part that we have right in front of us. Lord, for the people that we are going to see later on today and through this week, help us to see them with your eyes of just how important they are to you and to be your representatives. And Lord, as every moment of opportunity comes, help us just to enthuse about you. It's not that we've got to make up good stuff about you. It's so much. But just, just help us to take that lid off it and to, uh, to, to speak up and to point people to you. We pray that it will be so good for them, and we pray most of all that it will bring great glory to you, for you are truly worthy, and we give you our thanks and praise. Amen.